Buildings on Air with Kiefer Dunn on London Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of Buildings on Air. I'm your host, Kiefer Dunn. Recording from the home studio, uh, the studios of Lumpen Radio are still shuttered uh, on account of the pandemic. Um, so we're recording this as a podcast. Uh, it'll go out on the radio later. That's the opposite of our usual setup. Um, but we haven't had an episode in, in some time. Um, so I'm really excited to be back getting into the groove of things. Um, and we couldn't have picked a better couple of folks to interview for um our return to the airwaves. Uh, I have Will Orr, Ricardo Ruvio, uh, who teach at the AA. Welcome to Buildings on Air, y'all. Thank you. Thanks. I strongly suspect your statement is not correct. (laughs) (laughs) You you couldn't get a better pair of (laughs) You know, the listeners will be good. Um, I'm sure they will tweet at us if they disagree, but but I have the (laughs) I've got the faith. Um, and, and we're here to talk about um, sort of what's been going on at the AA, but really how what's been going on at the AA, which is the Architectural Association, School in London uh, of Architecture, uh, how, how what's been going on there is symptomatic of a lot of bigger issues. Um, you know, so listeners may or may not be familiar with the kind of context. So we'll talk about it a little bit. But um, we were kind of chatting a little bit before we started recording. And as I told you guys, I'm sort of less interested in perpetuating gossip and more interested in sort of like understanding um, the kind of critique of uh, neoliberal architecture education, uh, the sort of elite culture that's attached to that, um, which you guys uh, have sort of uh, expounded upon in, in, a, in an open letter that was a response to an open letter. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, we'll get into the context a little bit so the listeners understand. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, you know, just to give everyone an idea of where we're at, uh, and, and where we're going in the conversation. Um, and we'll probably bounce back and forth a million times and that's okay. But, but maybe to kick us off, um, give us the background of this situation. (laughs) What is the situation? What happened? How did it come about? Um, you know, that's, there's a, a big, big question I know, uh, but maybe you can give us a, a quick summary if possible. Yeah, I think, uh, well, it goes back, I mean, it goes back a long way. It's kind of a question of scale here, yeah. but even before Ava became director, there'd been a number of issues at the school. Teachers like us felt issues around labor precarity, students and teachers, uh, had issues with kind of managerial transparency mm. and the kind of direction the school was going in. The AA was in kind of a financial crisis after Brett Steele left as director. He sort of managed to avoid uh, the sort of controversy by basically just like leaving before the, the problem really hit, before the crisis really hit and kind of just left us with the crisis. Wow. So it's a good strategy if you can manage it, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> For yourself anyway <laughs> yeah so the so this is kind of a, a longer standing story maybe uh but when ava uh was elected as director and this ava ava gilbert franch franch ava franch yeah, e- e- yes. gilbert 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, she had a kind of a mandate, sort of a, a maybe you could say like a threefold mandate. If that makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I get like the. Yeah, at another scale. So these were sort of these were issues within the AA, uh-huh. with how staff and students experienced studying and working at the AA. But the the other side of the financial crisis was kind of the the position of the AA in the architectural scene and in mm-hmm. the kind of ar- architecture education market. Mm-hmm. So Ava was elected as kind of a magic bullet to solve. Uh, the relevancy of the AA to kind of reshift the AA's attention towards more current trends than the kind of uh, Zaha Hadid, Kulhas, like the previous era of star architects from the AA. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all, she also uh, was elected on, on a kind of mandate to improve transparency and really involve students and staff in mm-hmm. the conversation, so to speak. Uh-huh. Uh, so she was kind of a magic bullet that would at the same time solve a lot of these issues while maintaining the AA's kind of like visibility and aura and aura. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other, other, other candidates were kind of weak on aura. <laughs> if I can put it that way. They weren't yeah. really able to sell themselves as like particularly cool. I see. Uh, yeah, uh, Walter Benjamin was on the interview committee uh, <laughs> judging the auras. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, you, you very much could say that uh, aura is a major quality uh, that was uh, on to- on the table as a part of the core issue mm-hmm. of the mounting AA crisis that which we feel a really interesting crisis, not just because we are in it and living through it as teachers mm-hmm. at this school and it's specific to us. It's really interesting in that it really kind of mount together several dimensions of what feels to be the ongoing crisis and mm-hmm. sort of collapse of neoliberal structures in education and in architecture. Um, you have uh, very practical, uh, basic concerns that start being uh, kind of becoming increasingly relevant and perceived as relevant by by the school community, by 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 just people working at at, at in education in general, precarity of labor, terrible pay, etc., and so on. These are issues that have been there for a very long time, but really start becoming more and more visible and openly discussed by people mm-hmm. from the bar to the, to the to the actual meetings that mm-hmm. happened during the electoral process. This starts being put on the table openly in this period. Sure. Um, the issue of managerial transparency, which is not really uh, separable from the at this point from the issue of the visibility of the school, given that uh, the lack of managerial transparency, like the fact that directors are just making decisions and no one knows what they're doing, yeah, this creates be... financial problems that makes it so that the following director eliminates pub- the departments of publications and exhibitions, which are the external uh, face mm. of the school. So there is a certain sense of the crisis that of the crisis of uh, visibility is mm. heightened by the, the financial one. Yeah, this is something maybe specific to the AA's structure, political kind of administrative structure, that the school community, which is composed of uh, students, 
and staff, including teachers, but also including admin staff, security guards, bar uh, workers, bar workers uh, cooks, everybody. It's, there's no mm -hmm. subcontracting at the AA. Uh, that, that school community elects a director, and that director makes almost kind of unilateral decisions as director. And then there's this democratic oversight through the confidence or no confidence mechanism, right? right so the issue right. of transparency is always a kind of a tricky one here because the director has a mandate, has a democratic mandate. To be a dictator. To be a dictator, basically. And then we can just change dictator if we don't like the current one. And that's what that's the logic of the that's democratic the model. process. But the logic and of participation on, in day-to-day -day affairs yeah. has always been extremely uh, dubious at the AA. And, uh, and it feels that over these last few years, three or four years, so longer than the, 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 the directorship of Ava Farage, uh, it has, there has been an increasing drive to actually have participatory involvement on day-to-day -day right. affairs. The notion of we elect the leader and the leader takes care of it and then we change the leader when we don't like it anymore has been perceived to become maybe insufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, although this is, this, this is a long jury process and I think the full conclusions of this, uh, yeah. of this notion have, hasn't, haven't really like, been reached. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I, I um, thinking about, I mean, one of the reasons why I think this story is so interesting for our listeners is that this is not just the, you know, an AA issue, right? Like I can think of a lot of architecture schools in the U.S., all over the world where, uh, you know, they, they have the kind of her heroic leading figure with, with the aura, with the cultural cachet. Um, and then, and then the same sort of precarious working conditions, um, a bunch of students who are terrified about getting a job, but like also want to like understand the world and grow as people like that's a contradiction that they're trying to hold together. Um, and, and then, and then, and then this kind of, I mean, the magic bullet metaphor is, is right. And, and there's this kind of charismatic figure who's expected to sort of tie together and ameliorate all those contradictions, which um seems impossible somehow um uh but uh that that democratic structure is really unique you know if, even if it's imperfect it, it strikes me that uh it was a point of leverage that people were able to organize around that maybe is is not available in a lot of other institutions um uh as imperfect as it might be um and so you know i'm I'm sort of curious to hear, like, like what went wrong with with the magic bullet, right? Like, like you know, it, it seems like there must have been like some some moment where, uh, or or some sort of process. Maybe it was through labor organizing, maybe it was through just um, I, I I don't know, but there must have been some sort of process where uh, the sort of impossibility of one person resolving all of those contradictions. Uh, uh, became apparent to a large number of people. Um, yes, and, and they're and, able to. Uh, do it. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I'm I'm curious if you could speak to that a bit. Well, the um, it's very clear for us, but uh, we were always skeptics of the of the of the of the system from so to begin with. But I, I think it has become increasingly obvious that in fact, yes, the 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 idea of the leader. The progressive leader that institutes progressive change from above just does not work. Mm -hmm. um, and um, 
we've, again, we find this example of what's been happening at the AIE so interesting because it kind of it demonstrates this and it, 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 it shows a process of like the growing implicit consciousness among uh, more and more people of, of this reality. Um, the person that comes in is supposed to resuscitate the relevance of the AA at an international global scale. Uh, mm -hmm. And do the, the, to do that precisely by bringing in the new trends and doing away with the old passe, out of fashion, architecture, things with curves and spikes and stuff uh, mm -hmm. that uh, people increasingly, especially since 2008, uh, associate with as just the architecture of neoliberalism. Sure. Um, and so we, even the, like the very heritage of the AA Zahadid, Patrick Schumacher, uh, et cetera, period, uh, starts really being perceived as not really what can continue to be the dominant discourse if the school is to remain relevant in the neoliberal market. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's an interesting context in which the, a kind of a left critique of neoliberal architecture becomes the fashionable object to be sold in the neoliberal <laughs> market. Um, <laughs> And so uh, the uh, director that the school chooses and the, tr the trends of thought uh, and the architectural trends that the director then chooses to empower and, uh, and strengthen are precise. Uh, the, the director is imbued with uh, an aura, but the aura has the specific quality of a kind of strong sort of, we, we would say like radical rhetoric. Um, uh, although radical here, we that both of us, I think, would would uh, put it uh, <laughs> a very in, large in, amount in of scare quotes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, and a lot of very good work by a lot of very uh, interesting teachers who have a left uh, bent on their approach to architectural education right. uh, are empowered uh, by the new regime. Let's call it that. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is good. This is kind of an ambiguously perceived as good uh, sure. from our perspective, from the perspective of many people. And uh, it, it is good both at the level of the, what the content effectively represents, at uh, 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 the, the internal value of that content, but also is good from the point of view of those who just want the AI to become marketable again as a product, because right. this is the trendy stuff that's going on. But this contradiction that exists between the content of the content and the neoliberal functionality of the content in the neoliberal market is, is it really becomes obvious that it's, it's kind of insurmountable. And so we have, in order to do this, uh, in order to empower new teachers, you have a an increased precarization of labor conditions. Uh, you have uh, mounting precarity, for example, in, a, in an administration. Uh, you have, uh, among admin workers, you have uh, an incredibly confusing notion of what uh, in inclusion and participation in the school's management is uh, during this period. Uh, a lot of the arguments of people who mobilized against the director in the no confidence vote was precisely that it was really impossible to have a proper discussion on how to manage the school and what decisions to be made precisely because there was such an abundance of highly curated conversation moments, right. which were overabundant and incredibly like sort of controlled as it themselves events. 
that needed to have some kind of everything needed to have some kind of external projection. Even that, even things that used to be just meetings before. Sure. Yeah, which is the, a classic kind of man, management tactic, right? Which is we're going to have the conversation, so we can say we had the conversation, but you know, you're 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 not treated as a a, a peer, or someone with a say. You are you're you're sort of being managed, right? Like in, in a very sort of obvious fashion, rather than uh, being invited to sort of participate in a meaningful way. Um, and that's not, that's, and that's, that's sort of in, ingrained in, um, you know, who owns the means of production, right? <laughs> right? Yes. Like, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, sound too, you know, but, but uh, it, it's, it's structural, right? It's, 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 it's not, um, it's not sort of moral, right? Like, uh, yeah. you, can't, you can't flatten it uh, out of goodwill, uh, even though that might go some, some distance. Um yeah. Um, yeah, this, I mean, this mounting of these problems over these past two years, which are not new, but they have been kind of radicalized, mm -hmm. um, essentially exploded a couple of months ago. Uh, and that's really what triggered the process, which essentially was triggered as a labor dispute. You mm -hmm. had, uh, like, uh, this is where the, you, you can, we can't really avoid descending to the level of a bit of gossip, but what you effectively had is a meeting to discuss the complications of beginning an academic year under COVID conditions online and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And someone raises the issues of contracts and the fact that we are all on one-year contracts, which are only confirmed to be renovated or not in the end of August to begin right. in September. So we don't even, not only do we have extreme precarity, we don't even know with any... It's observed the, 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 the tardiness with which we are informed if we will continue to work or not. Right. Essentially, we are told on the eve of having to teach again if we are going to be the ones doing the teaching or not. Right, right, right. Uh, and you it was raised in the meeting, and it was effectively just kind of completely and authoritarianly quashed um, by the director in a way that was so aggressive and obvious that essentially, this was a meeting that happened on a Friday, essentially the entire faculty mm -hmm. kind of saw that as this kind of triggering moment that brought to the surface the lingering concerns uh, that yeah. have been repressed for years and years and years, which yeah. again, Ava did not invent the problems, but under sure. her, the, the radicalization of them and the way... Uh, uh, that her the display of a kind of a bit of an authoritarian personality in dealing with people raising them, yeah. uh, the her incapability to kind of gloss over them uh, smoothly, <laughs> really yeah. created a context, a context where it was impossible to continue and it just exploded. Yeah. And uh, in between these meeting and two two weeks later, a vote of no confidence had happened uh, with several meetings in between of people just airing their grievances and yeah. putting what now is being called in the school, the structural issues on the table, but that, but in a way that is not dissociable from the figure of the director. Yeah. Now this evolved into director is out. Uh, there was a war of letters during this period. Uh, the, the, the letter, this is when we wrote our own open letter that put, put both of us as like the public uh, names. And if I, if I may, it's called On Executive Solidarity, a response to the open letter to the Architectural Association in support of director Ava Front. Uh, highly recommend giving it a read. Um, yeah, that way, that way people, people can give it a Google if they want. Uh, uh, it's very good. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
just just uh, keep keep going. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think I think the 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 director's approach here was kind of a one of disciplining the school to the contemporary market conditions of architecture education. So, in order to maintain flexibility, uh, precarity was increased. Uh, last minute decisions on a mm -hmm. kind of case by case and kind of event, eventual, event organized basis put admin staff and academic staff constantly on notice that they might have to work the weekend to like fulfill some event that is suddenly announced sure. or change, change something about the way they work. Yeah. Uh, do, like, Within these these meetings, there was a debate about the problems, with, which we do think are structural. But they're they're just because they're structural structural doesn't mean we can basically ignore the concrete experience of the past two years right. and the worsening of these issues. Right. So, I mean, the the vote that we had had three parts, right? Yes. There was a, a no confidence. There was a rejection of the strategic plan, which is the main kind of planning document that the director prepared. Mm -hmm. And there was a call for the AA to pursue reforms across uh, all these issues and for the school community to actually lead those reforms, not the director, regardless of the outcome mm -hmm. of the no confidence. So all these things were kind of interconnected. And Sorry. as we say in our letter, it's possible to kind of like disagree on the no confidence side of it. I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of people had no experience of this precarity, right? Like they oh. were hired by the director from their position in yeah. uh, their, East Coast their America. Beef, yeah, their beef was different from your beef in, yeah. in, in, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we, we were basically not prepared for the fallout from the no confidence vote. No. No. In terms of like the the sort of media response, yeah, uh, it, it was really confusing uh, because what we perceived and the, the reason why we decided we had to write this open letter if no one else would, in response to the American Star System uh, letter, is that effectively what was the fundamental thrust behind the process that was going on, uh, which was which was essentially an issue on a labor dispute. Mm -hmm. and on managerial transparency. And the two at a certain point become kind of associated as well. Sure. Uh, the, the, these issues were entirely raised from the, the media coverage of this and from the way in which the sections of the school that supported Ava uh, were also framing it, uh, even though they were in the meetings, at least in some of them. Uh, mm. And we, we found that quite... Uh, the, we found that horrible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And the American letter really kind of made us angry to a certain extent. Sure. And the, the American letter, just to contextualize, it was like 200-ish uh, sort of academics and like people who are in sort of the upper echelons of architecture academia, mostly in the U.S., who sort of wrote a letter uh, saying that... Um, uh, Ava Franch is good, actually, and she's being fired for, uh, you know, sexist reasons. That, that, that was sort of the, the content of that letter. If I'm, if, is, is, is that what you're talking about? And is, is that a, an accurate summary of it? Um, 
Yeah, I think that's that that's a, a, a the core of the message was that, yeah. um, and it evolved more in that direction over time. Um, yes. I mean that the type of story that has been created in the media, but which really is a kind of a, a star system reading of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we were really disappointed with is how precisely, but also found very interesting from the point of view of the kind of work that we do in our own critique of the insufficiencies of the current left in architecture, mm-hmm. is that yeah. precisely the sections of the school that most vocally self-identify as being the left in architecture are mm-hmm. the ones erasing the voices of workers, especially in a context where the majority of like the most notable cases that were raised in, in, in the meetings uh, of effective, uh, uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if we can call it worker abuse, but people f- were framing it that way, yeah. um, came from women workers. Um, but we have a kind of a large scale feminist defense of the woman director, where the systematic erasure of women workers, and we we kind of understand like we we we, are, we speak about these issues. That it's a bit awkward for us to do though to do that because we are two guys. Uh, and uh, we don't have, and we have a lot of women uh, who have access, easy, privileged access to media platforms speaking mm-hmm. on behalf of Ava on that base, on the grounds of her dismissal, hurting the, the, the ambitions and the, the, no, the very notion that women can achieve positions of relevance and power. And we sympathize with that, like symbols are important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we understand that argument, like Obama is important even if mm-hmm. under his presidency, a lot of bad stuff happened, but symbols are important too. And we understand but that cannot erase the material reality of what is of the policies that are implemented during the period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially when it's women workers bringing their voices to the table in great fear, by the way, the amount of fear that had to be conquered for this to happen. Uh, we wrote this open letter to the outside, but not mo- I, I, I'm not sure the vast majority of people will not know that. We wrote a second letter before this, this open one. We wrote a second letter internal mm-hmm. to the school that mm-hmm. we circulated to get signatures to be sent to the body of the school that would make the ultimate decision on the firing. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the, the school community vote isn't the final decision. There's a body that makes the final decision on the basis of that vote. Uh, mm-hmm. And we sent a letter to this internal body, which circulated among the school to get signatures to see what the, the amount of feedback we got of people being incredibly afraid of putting their name on a letter. Mm. Uh, people who, like, in, in, the, in the internal discussions, one of the issues that was absolutely framed as crucial was that this needs to be a secret ballot vote because we are afraid of mm. voting for her to leave and then her not going and we are afraid of the consequences because we have a lived experience of two years of being sort of uh, having this kind of uh, culture of intimidation under which we work. Um, And so it's kind of awkward for us. We are two guys who are speaking out and sort of giving voice to women workers who don't have it, whose voices have been erased. And they are not doing that because they're more scared than us because in many ways we are privileged for being guys. So it it really is a kind of a complicated, awkward position for us. Um, But yes, I mean, all of these, the the core contradiction that really animates us as making a critical reading of what this process effectively means is the way in which it is precisely the... Okay, the, 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 the group of uh, essentially faculty at the school 
who vocally and militantly has been supporting Eva is precisely the one that self-identifies as the left in architecture. Right. In a context where they are suppressing what is the effective roots of this problem, which was a labor dispute. Sure. And, if, and that contradiction is absolutely crucial. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the um, you know, point, pointing out the hypocrisy of it never changes it uh, because it's a structural issue. But, but nevertheless, the, the sort of intense hypocrisy of this in architecture is always shocking. I think the only sort of industry that that beats us on on that front is maybe the the NGO industrial complex, right? Like, you know, I, 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 that they they they're the only people who do sort of faux progressivism better, where they can talk about you know bettering people's lives on the one hand and uh, you know uh, sort of engage in, in in typical management behavior at best, like. Um, on, on the other hand, um, and so you know, I, 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 I always find I always find it surprising, and I, I think um, you, you use this phrase in your open letter of you know the, the kind of theory of change that's associated with this is, is sort of trickle down progressivism, right? Um, which is is a brilliant turn of phrase, and and it, and it sort of you know, implies that, oh, well, you know, things can't change that much, but if we have the right people in charge, then like maybe we'll do some good stuff and that will have some unknown sort of magical benefit eventually, right? Like, which which in this moment where so much seems possible and there's such a basis for organizing and people are radicalizing because of the pan- the pandemic has sort of lay bare these contradictions in a way that that hasn't been felt before like um that 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 very conservative actually theory of change just feels so bankrupt right um relative to a theory of change that really centers bottom-up change from an organized mass of workers um now now i'm soapboxing a little bit but (laughs) but uh you know, I I I I I think um, I I think it's 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 utterly utterly fascinating because you see it all of the time, and I think as educators, it's really like I see the confusion in my students, right? When 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 they're sort of, you know, I mean, like, how do you navigate? I, I put myself in their shoes. How do you navigate this as a student, right? Um, much much less as as a in some ways being a kind of worker in this situation, the, once the battle lines are made clear uh, and you know what side you're on, uh, you, you can do something about it. Um, I, think, I think together with the, the trickle down from kind of the executive or director level, there's another kind of trickle down that's really interesting here, which is like a kind of a trickle down from academic discourse to actual political action yes and militancy solidarity and so forth right and this is kind of like as far as the internal dynamics of the school go we feel it's a political uh duty to kind of uh fight this fight but as far as kind of the more theoretical and broader questions concerned this we see this as being kind of the core contradiction Within the within the architectural uh, discipline, especially as it's become increasingly kind of academic, right, uh, or has constructed a kind of political academia since the since like the seventies, right? Sure. 
Yeah, we the 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 general feel we have on this issue as it connects to the wider problem is essentially how it illustrates that there is a kind of a shift in what the the left means uh, from uh, concrete political engagement to a more abstract notion of uh, kind of politic of being of 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 cultural leftism in the sense of uh, having a left wing cult Culturalism, sure. Is this, yeah. is, uh, coming across, uh, it's a sense yeah. of, um, and in this context, uh, I mean, I, I, we think this is kind of a general problem that defines academic uh, progressive politics. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah, since the 1970s, this is kind of a macro historical phenomenon uh, yeah. with the emergence of the neo avant-garde culture uh, in general uh, as welfare states models uh, collapse uh, or degrade over time and eventually collapse. Yeah. And um, the ghost of Manfredo Tifori is in the room with us. Yes, yes. And oh, we, yes. We, we, would, we, would pro we would probably categorize ourselves as kind of neo-Tiforians to a certain extent. Sure. Um, Likewise. Where, although also critical, but anyway, let's not talk about Tifori. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that would probably be that's a, that's another conversation. Yes. Uh, we do that uh, too much, probably, or uh, the two of us. Um, the uh, but there is definitely a kind of a tendency where uh, the idea of having a kind of a, a left culturalism uh, in very abstract terms, a kind of a mm -hmm. vague progressive notions, which effectively kind of become more and more abstracted. In, uh, as the neo-avant-garde culture defines itself in the late 60s, into the 70s, yeah. and et cetera. And the AA is one of the main places where this stuff is happening, sure. uh, which for us is particularly interesting since we, we're teaching at the AA, but we are systematically kind of making a critique of the fundamental identity of the school uh, and of, the, of, of what effectively are its, uh, its, its actual contents. Um, there is a kind of a dissociation, which is even kind of professionally motivated to a significant extent. Uh, there's no more jobs working for the London uh, public office of architecture that is just mm -hmm. do designing mass housing estates, train stations, schools. hospitals, schools, mm -hmm. healthcare centers. It's, it's, it's designing the architecture of the welfare state. Right. Uh, and it's uh, and, uh, in London specifically, it's at, at that point in the 1970s, it's the largest architectural office in the world. Yeah. Uh, and it's all public servants and it's anonymous architecture with no authors. It, it yeah. comes from architects who just work as technicians of the welfare state. Yeah. The notion of uh, uh, art as an expressive medium, uh, architecture as an expressive medium for, for kind of ex conveying new images of something is not really part of the problem. The, part, sure. the problem in the discipline is program as part of a political project. There right. is no architectural project per se, but no. architecture as a kind of a technical facilitator of the political project. Sure. For the, or for the, uh, the brutalist fans out there, there is there is a bit of an internal uh, development within the the London office that went from this more kind of anonymous modernism to a more kind of aesthetic yeah. brutalism yeah. with authorship attached. But I, I think the the key issue, the key critique, as Neo-Tiforians say, we would make of contemporary left trends, is that they still 
they pursue a model of political change through the yeah. authorial power of the architect. Right. Uh, yes. The architect as author, as creative author. Uh, and within architectural discourse, you have that politics playing out. Right. You have uh, siloed away from it more kind of practical, but kind of mundane discussions of, you know, labor conditions in offices, yeah. uh, the decline of the standing of the architect mm -hmm. uh, in the labor market. Yeah. The kind of hopes and dreams of student architecture students kind of evaporating. Sure. And these yeah. are totally separate discussions. Yeah. So, and and to add to that, the again, more mundane discussions on what is actually happening in the world of the construction industry. Right. Uh, like what is architecture actually really doing? Yeah. Uh, we are we have been living since 2008 and particularly since uh, 2016 in a context where it's becoming it is increasingly obvious the Corbyn period, particularly in the UK, was very clear. One of the main issues was the housing crisis, right. and this is like the, the 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 political discussion moves again from this kind of abstract notion of like progress in the sense of individual self-expression uh, and in, in a series of senses that are kind of dissociated from class politics, in right. which, uh, as as uh, Marxist would categorize yeah. as a kind of a move from class politics to yeah. uh, cultural politics in a broad sense, uh, yeah. where all sorts of progressive uh, struggles are kind of reframed under this kind of conceptual umbrella. Sure. Um, yeah. And uh, if what if eventually what you see happening in the discipline is this, this development of a new avant-garde culture, which today manifests itself uh, in stark dissociation with the concrete material struggles for which within which architecture is implicated. Right. Um, you have a lot of, after, after the, the 2008 crisis, and especially after 2016, there's a kind of an institutionalization of the problem with the Venice Biennale curated right. by... Right. Aravena and the Pritzker to Aravena. Wow. Somehow there's a kind of an, like the left, the, the idea of a left critique, even though let's not discuss specifically the figure of Aravena, but let's say that, let's admitting, let's admit that there is a kind of the notion of a left critique of what architecture has been doing all of these past few decades. Uh, that notion of left critique is kind of given official sponsorship by the regime, by the architectural sure. regime, let's call it that. Yeah. And that becomes kind of the defining trend. Yeah. Uh, but very quickly, every time we talk about these issues, we, the, yeah. con the conversation starts with the housing crisis, and mm -hmm. 10 minutes later, we are talking about the home and about alternative forms of life. And sure. about, you, you know what I mean? It's a kind of yeah. a critique of the culture of being at home. And right. then you start talking about uh, intellectual labor and the fact that the intellectual workers who are being proletarianized from the former liberal professions live and work in the same space because they work on their laptops in their tiny flats and blah, blah, blah. And you have an entire fetishization of uh, the, 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 these kind of conditions, which really, really radically departs from the origin point of the conversation, which is several dozens of millions of people are sure. losing access to the right to having a house. Right, exactly. And, yeah. and, and we are now in a, in a moment when really this is exploding in front of everybody. If I understand, like in the United States, there's like 40 million people who are about to lose their homes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or something like that. I think in the UK is, is not as bad. It's only three or four million people. 
<laughs> I mean, the, Fortunately, the, probably similar. Yeah. <laughs> the cataclysmic reality of what has been going on for the past several years and what has is being really accelerated and radicalized now with the with the, the way in which neoliberal capitalism has absolutely been unable to deal with the COVID crisis. Well, uh, I think there's a few things going on with that, right? I mean, I mean, well, Marxists would call this a classic example of reification, right? Reification for listeners who don't know is like when when sort of um, subjects, humans, uh, you know, sort of lose their agency and are treated as objects and objects are sort of imbued with a kind of human subjectivity and, and, and architects are, architecture is a really good example of this where um, architects who are political in scare quotes uh, put all of their political agency into the form and shape and, and of, of a building, rather, which which is ridiculous. Um, I'm I'm very fond of saying that a building never walked the picket line, right? Like, you know, a building <laughs> yeah. never lobbied a politician. Like, a building never, you know, joined a union. Like, you know, um, a building never, you know, th- people do those things. And you know, it's not to say that buildings are unimportant. I'm a big believer in architecture, uh, but 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 we we you know, there's a kind of way in which the agency gets gets mixed up um, that is like not that that is not conducive to political action and 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 that is sort of part and parcel of uh, the way that capital commodifies everything buildings included I mean I think the other flip side thing that, that you're talking about as well is I mean I think if you, if you think about what this architectural academia does, like why how does it serve capital even when it's being quote unquote progressive and it sort of um defines a territory where you're like allowed to be critical right like in in some ways this this very small but very present like um progressive clique in in architecture are like the people who are allowed to be political and if you work if you go work for a corporate architecture practice one that is having a much bigger impact on the world, arguably, than any of those people. Uh, you're somehow sort of uh, apolitical, which is of course ridiculous, or 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 a sellout, or 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 you know apathetic, right? And so I'm always interested, like I, I, you know, I, I think what one of the things that you're sort of suggesting is that if we're really taking sort of labor politics or left politics seriously. Um, Actually, that that type of politic really centers people who are like working at big corporations as like political subjects who have a lot of potential power to exercise to make changes, right? And 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 there there is an intellectual kind of component to that, but but it's something that um, uh, often gets gets kind of confused, right? In, in, in some ways, um, yeah. And I, and I think the architectural discussion within kind of contemporary trends, will avoid discussing those people's political agency as workers right. within the office. Right. Like not as designers, but as workers within the office. Right. It'll ignore their political agency like outside of the office in their like uh, militancy uh, in maybe the larger labor movement or in a party or what have you. Yeah. And channel the entire political discussion into a question of authorship, basically, which right. just feeds back into the notion of the architect as employer, as partner, yeah. as entrepreneur. Right. Uh, this exact- But never as worker. But never as worker. Right. And this exact, I mean, it seems 
like the 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 simplest broadest reading of this crisis and of this particular contradiction at the AA is that this this problem in the architectural left is mirrored as a problem of the academic left sure. where there's there there isn't any willingness to see architecture workers as or sorry academic workers as workers rather than as right uh, producers, producers of, of discourse it's essentially and... it's essentially a problem of um, uh, to, to put it in like strict Marxist terms, uh, there is a, a class degradation. What used to be the liberal professions are proletarianized. Uh, right. But the ideological response of what used to be the petty bourgeois intellectual, uh, who is now facing a proletarian condition, the ideological response can go one of two ways. You either acknowledge your new prof- newfound proletarian condition, uh, recognize that uh, the specificity of your intellectual labor is just really another form of labor and join your, and you join your fortunes with the historical sure. working classes, or you double down on the notion of historical privilege associated with being an intellectual worker um, right. to, uh, to reinforce and struggle to gain back the petty bourgeois lost status. Um, And what you have today specifically is this kind of a way in which it is precisely being the left critic of neoliberalism within the limitations of neoliberal academia. Mm. Being the guy who writes an article. Being the guy who who teaches a course that talks about a problem. Uh, And that's all good that that happens, but it is the fetishization of those actions as the extent at which you are political, which effectively create an ideological context in which somehow it is the it is the intellectual petty bourgeoisie, or at least the former one that still carries that same subjectivity that has the monopoly on being a political subject, and these types this type of uh, intellectual critique. Uh, is entirely dissociated from the like what you might call the reality on the ground of the political struggle to yeah. such an extreme extent that again you start talking about housing five minutes later you're talking about the home right. uh, which is not just a home it's the home where specifically that one architect lives in and, uh, right. and they work and uh, it's the, from that perspective you, it's the same kind of problem where you you keep talking about labor all the time when you're teaching your architectural right. history course but then suddenly there's an issue a labor dispute in your university and because you have a privileged position in that school you oppose the labor dispute and you take sure. the side of the of administration these are manifestations of fundamentally what is the same contradiction the same fundam- crucial ideological uh, obstacle that uh, this specific type of cultural academic left just cannot surpass yeah yeah one well, it's and it's funny it strikes me that um, you know having having been on the organized left outside of architecture for a while you know these were the these were sort of ha- have been problems for a long time. This sort of, you know, um, setting up the the whole sort of axis of of of, of the or- organizing on on cultural terms, right? Like Occupy was very much sort of that. The global justice movement before it was was very much that. And and um, having been involved in like Democratic Socialists of America for for quite some time now, uh, like it seems like by and large, not entirely. Uh, that is sort of behind us, right? And in and, and architecture, as ever, is is ten years behind the curve on all of this. Um, you know, and and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know, in in organizing context, like 
everyone everyone hates the ideas guy. Like the guy, you know, the guy who shows up to the organizing <laughs> meeting, who doesn't want to do anything. They don't want to like make any calls. They don't want to do any spreadsheets. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to do any of any of the the, the legwork. They just want to, you know, spout off and 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 give the ideas and, and bless everyone with their presence. And um and and it strikes me that architecture is is always the ideas guy, right? But uh, no one likes right. the ideas guy, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the and and those people they never stick around. I, you know, I'm being a little bit glib, but you know, I think you you see this all the time, right? Like I, I think the example of housing is 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 such a good one because that that when you start to talk about the problem of the house, the 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 sort of implication is that. Like it's it's a problem of ideas, right? Or, or a problem of of sort of no one has come up with the right thing to say about housing, rather than a problem of well, yeah, the government has been engaged in forty years of austerity and they don't fund public housing anymore, right? Which is like the real axis of the problem. Not that you know architects haven't just designed like a, a, a cheap enough, good enough, you know, sort of thing uh, or, yeah. or, or, or what have it's not that there's a dearth of innovation on the problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would go even further uh, further than that and say that oh. the ideas guy not only does not help, it is an actual saboteur. Yeah. Arch- architecture has been systematically innovating uh, uh, different ways of framing the same critique. Again, yeah. this goes back to the 70s. The kind of neo-avant-garde radical critique of uh, modernist normalization, etc. If uh, 10 years down the line is indistinguishable from Thatcherite uh, uh, neoliberal uh, austerity policies. Sure. Um, and in the current moment, architecture is still repeating the 1970s gesture, which in the 1970s was also uh, sort of mil- nominally militantly political, but mm-hmm. political in precisely this way in which uh, the the politics of it are kind of abstract and are the domain of the ideas guy, uh, mm-hmm. as the welfare state is kind of collapsing all around us. And sure. right now you have uh, just architecture, the architecture as the ideas guy, as a, a kind of a, a fundamental fetishizing motor of gentrification, in right. which precisely... Many, many, uh, very often, the the idea of the new, the avant-garde, radical, even left critical gesture, ends up functioning as just an other uh, like gear in the gentrification machine, yeah. uh, and you have all of these kind of left critical projects of engagement. Yeah, you can read a, a, a so-called left critical article, making the case that that. Uh, flats today, apartments today, have too many bedrooms. Yes, we've, 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 we see that all the time. Uh, right, you, right. you can read like a gambin on why like medieval uh, servitude is like more somehow existentially satisfying than contemporary like uh, you know working class social democracy existence. Right, right. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, bringing it back to this question of social democracy and 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 we're not uh, even social democrats, the two of them. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, I mean I it's an interesting moment for for these kinds of questions, and and also thinking through Tafori, uh, not to get too deep into it, but you know, I think that that's been um, been one of the 
one of the one of the things that I've been reflecting on in my own political activity recently is I think in in, in the kind of sixties and the seventies there was an idea that was, uh, that that sort of social democracy um, was was not good for the more radical left, right? That it was a sort of co opting force, and I think that that's been one of the interesting things to think through in this political moment. Where I think if you, if 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 you do have a revolutionary perspective, if you do have a more radical perspective, you know, so social democracy might you know might be might be good uh, to help you achieving that, right? And and there's yeah. there's forces around you know non-reformist reforms and things like this that I think are are big big questions. Um, but I think I think it's interesting to think about it in the context of of of, of architecture, um, where one of the things that that Tafori maybe didn't predict was precisely this kind of mass proletarianization of 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 the architect, right? Which which sets up a new potential for political agency. Whether that will be realized or not is a is a different question, uh, and it's kind of down to organizing and the wheels of history, in, in my mind. But I, I you know I, I'd be I'd be curious as we're as we're approaching. A, a wrap up point. I'd be I'd be curious to hear hear uh, your thoughts your thoughts on that. Um, you know this kind of question of social democracy and 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 and, and organizing in architecture. I think I think you're totally right, and I think it feels like it takes a Herculean effort to kind of raise quote unquote radical architecture, even just to the level of social democracy. Sure. Uh, and in many ways, as far as kind of the material reality of architecture uh, is concerned, there's not very much difference between social democratic architecture and revolutionary architecture. Right. <laughs> what, after the revolution, you solve the housing problem properly. In more or less the same way. But it's more or less the, the same social way. social democratic uh, compromise know. does, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we're not even terribly concerned at that level of the political discussion. It's... But, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I myself tend to take a, a kind of an extreme uh, Marxist uh, economic reductionist approach to this, which is reform really only can happen when uh, capital can share part of its profit margin, when profit, uh, when profit rates are high. Sure. Uh, th this is why it happens when the organic composition of capital is uh, also high. Uh, uh, low, when the organic composition of capital is low. Uh, which is, uh, I mean, this long theory discussion, go and read political economy, <laughs> yeah, Marx and yeah. capitals, don't, don't go and read the... the, the... Well, if you're, if you're like following contemporary politics, it's clear there's going to be no social democracy. No, there is compromise. no reform possible. The idea that there is a, refor a reformist compromise in the current moment, as there was in the post-World War II sure. context, where physical capital was entirely destroyed uh, in the massive, uh, like, large, large areas of the world, and particularly the most industrialized areas of the world. There was precisely because of that, uh, because uh, economic stuff that I'm not going to go into right now, there is a possibility, uh, like cap uh, profit rates are high when uh, the amount of fixed capital, like factories, but the productive apparatus is low in comparison to the amount of labor that is available in the labor pool. So... Uh, there is a potential for reform then. Now it's the exact opposite reality. You have immense levels of capital, fixed capital accumulation. Um, the idea that there will be some kind of reformist compromise happening now is just 
it's completely non-viable from, from our perspective. So precisely because of that, demanding reforms is a revolutionary uh, is a revolutionary task because precisely because they will not be granted <laughs> and, and which which re- will which right. reveals as the uh, political process deepens yes. the necessity yeah. of taking it one step further if people yeah. actually want to not starve to death right well and it's and it's a uh, and, and even if there are incremental victories it is it is uh, the, the, it, it really comes as a result of really like uh, taking it in a political contest, right? Like t- taking that from from the capitalist rather than than a sort of deal to not be, uh, you know, so 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 uh, I don't know, uh, rabble rousing, uh, <laughs> right? I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah, they're not, well, they're not trying to buy us off. They're not trying to buy yeah. workers off. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I would um, I would love to have you guys back on the show at some point to continue that kind of conversation because, you know, I think um, uh, the show is about talking about left politics and architecture, and um, I think these are these are the pertinent questions to be to be sort of talking about, <laughs> um, and I think it's a I think it's really interesting. Um, I, I I hope it's been edifying for the listeners to to sort of. And think through how these how these big picture questions that we've been discussing sort of meet the ground in the context of, of a workplace, your workplace, right? Like, uh, and, and how how you how moving between those things is 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 really useful. Uh, theory, it's good actually uh, because it might just help you, uh, you know, uh, do some organizing, um, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> At the end of the day, especially um, yeah, if you put it into practice and and not just like publish an article on it. Yes. Let it, let it stand there. <laughs> There's yes. nothing wrong with publishing articles. We, we we are trying to publish as many articles as we can, <laughs> for sure. There's nothing yes. wrong with it. But don't yes. use the article to 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 then yeah. produce the exact opposite effect right. when you are on the ground in an actual concrete struggle that just happened to appear around you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a good a good word of wisdom. Uh, we, can, we can we can we can leave it there. Uh, but I, I really appreciate uh, taking the time, you guys taking the time, and um, I, I thank you for the edifying conversation. Um, I, th- I think we did it. I think this was was in fact uh, uh, the best way to return. Uh, I, 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 think we, I think we made it. Um, <laughs> uh, well, thanks so well, much for having us. This has been Buildings on Air on Lumpen Radio. Buildings on Air is a production of Lumpen Radio. Hosted by Kiefer Dunn. Produced by Logan Bay and Jamie Trecker. Visit us on the web at buildingsonair.live. If you want us to answer your questions about buildings on the air, send them via Twitter at BLDGS on air or via email at buildingsonair at gmail.com This show is also available as a podcast on iTunes.